Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. This is a show that explores individual and interpersonal dynamics, helping you become your best self while making the most of your business and the people in it. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Enjoy the show. In this episode, I'm joined by Nate Guja. Nate is the co-founder of Before You Apply, a content platform and creative studio that specializes in helping companies give candidates an insider's look at their teams and culture. Based in the San Francisco Bay Area, Before You Apply has special expertise creating content for highly technical audiences in extremely competitive markets that helps companies and talent teams hire fast. Nate, in this episode, helps define a few terms that are a little kind of esoteric or hard to pin down in the business world, things like employer branding and employee value proposition, and walks us through how you can take those terms, really build out some meaningful content and make them actionable in your workplace and in the candidate experience when you're looking to attract new people. We also get into the importance of authenticity and being open about your weaknesses. There's a ton of great information in here. I think you'll enjoy it. Here is Nate Guja. And we are live with Nate Guja from Before You Apply. Nate, welcome to the show. Hey, man. It's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited to dive into this because the stuff that you cover professionally, the employer branding, employee value proposition, that type of work, it can be hard to like pin down and define for a lot of employers. And so I'm interested selfishly to get your thoughts today and then also, you know, be able to share this stuff with people. So just to kick things off, I would love it if you could just sort of pitch what you do, your organization, like how you come at your work. Cool. Okay. Good place to start. So I'm a co-founder of Before You Apply. Before You Apply, it's really what we wish existed the last time we were all at the company looking for work. I think that there is a big need for candidates to get all the information they want before they apply so they can make an educated decision if it's something that they want to move forward with. And if it's not, they can opt themselves out and start looking in other directions. This methodology really, really applies to more senior level candidates too, especially because when you look at engineers, technical talent, senior leadership, really hard to hire salespeople with a lot of experience their time is really valuable and they are not short on opportunities. And so we wanted to create something that just gave a ton of transparency and a look inside of the teams that they would be working as part of so they can decide if like, hey, this is worth a conversation. This looks compelling. Now, what that actually means in practice is we create what you can think of as like team-specific microsites or like mini career sites that are focused at a team level. So if you want to take like let's say a sales team, for example, we come in and we interview members of a sales team. We ask them really pointed questions to draw out all the information we know candidates want. And we package it up in a single deliverable that acts as like a landing page for recruiters to send out when they're reaching out to candidates, or maybe they can post it across social. It could be on their career site, et cetera. And so before you apply is this like move towards authenticity. And then in addition to this like core deliverable, this like this product, this really tactical thing for recruiters. We also have a full services creative agency that sits underneath this umbrella called Job Portraits, which is what the original business was. And Job Portraits creates very customized employer branding content and also does high-level strategic work along the lines of EVPs and things like that. And so we have a productized version of some of those content deliverables with Before You Apply. And then we have Job Portrait, which could fulfill basically any type of communications that either touches an internal employee audience or an external candidate audience. All right. So there's a lot of of fertile ground to get into here. I know. Yeah. uh, As we get into this conversation. 
curious though, so for on the before you apply side, mm-hmm. you, you talked about it's something that people, potential candidates can review to really get an understanding of whether this is worth spending time on. How much of your conversations with clients are around, or I guess how much of this work is around making the company attractive to those people versus helping those people opt out? Yeah, that's a really great question, actually. <laughs> so, there, okay, so like if we break this down into like different types of companies, right? So if we look at startups, even startups who have received tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars of VC funding still are kind of unknown. When you start like rattling off tech companies, you'll probably stop at 10, even if you get that far. But there's a lot of amazing companies out there doing incredible work who are just like unknown because they just lack visibility and awareness. So for companies that need awareness, and like, I really think recruiting now is like, it's an attention game. It's about that for them. Now, on the flip side, I think that volume is the enemy of recruiting. If you talk to any in-house recruiter who is bombarded with applications, is trying to filter through all of these candidates, they are overwhelmed, they are burning out, and they can't provide the candidate experience that they really want to. And so this is actually, it kind of fulfills on both. It's an awareness, attractive attraction piece. And at the same time, it's designed to filter because I really think that recruiting needs to start optimizing for quality over quantity. And for the longest time, it's really been a volume game. This is an attempt to, to reverse that thinking. So that's an interesting comment that, that you made there. And, and I think it's it's important. It's something that I've been thinking about too. And it's something that I advise people on because I'll have people reach out to me usually around sales jobs being like, hey, I'm thinking about this new job. Like, what do you think? Here's all the upside to it. And it's like, okay, but like, is the job the right job? Is the company the right company? Like, is that where you want to go? Not just can you make the money you want to make, but like, is that where you want to be and spend your time? And so I think to your point, like, I just, I see more and more people realizing I guess, as you said, it's not so much a volume game as much as it is getting the right people in the door. Yeah. You know, to speak to that too, we are like, we do a lot of ongoing like UX research with candidates, especially the types of candidates that our clients are trying to hire, which are UX being user experience. Yeah. Yeah. We want to, yeah. (laughs) Thanks. Just defining terms. Yeah. We want to understand their behavior because then we can reverse engineer the things that we create to match that behavior. And the feedback that we're getting from senior level candidates, especially like that technical talent, is that they are looking now for what you're describing. You know, for them, it's like they've kind of gotten past the point of like resume building or maybe like working for, you know, the cool company that like can propel them to the next level. And they're probably maybe now have a family. Like life is different than when they first started. And they've already probably made some level of money. And so now that they're looking for those types of things, like it's like, where am I going to be a fit? Where can I become a mentor? Where can I like kind of contribute and give back in a way? And so, you know, there's like culture is a very buzzy topic, but at the same time, it's like, it's very real. And it's something that, that people who have like gotten past, like, oh, I just want to make money doing work. It's now what they're like really looking for. And in many cases will compromise on compensation in order to get that because they realize now like that's that's where like the meaning of work comes from. I've been thinking a lot just in my own work about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Like these people have covered the base levels of that pyramid and now they're looking for things that can fulfill them in other ways. They're looking for that self-actualization, that purpose in what they're doing. I mean, as well as they're not going to make no money, right? They still need to like cover those base levels, but they've sort of figured out what they need to get by on those base levels. And now they're looking for that higher level stuff. Yeah. When we look at an EVP and really what candidates want, it comes down to like, you know, that thing like Dan Pink's talked about, which is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And if you like, if you break it all down, it really just, you land on that. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. Well, so I've stolen that in my own work because I the, the work I do is total rewards consulting. And I love his autonomy, mastery, purpose. And I've sort of stolen that into, and I've created the hierarchy of employee needs. And 
I think you've got what we do in total rewards is the base level of that. And then you've got autonomy, mastery, purpose. And I also insert leadership in there. So I think you have, you need your base level of comp benefits, you know, to survive and protect yourself. Then you need like leadership so that the company is viable and like headed in the right direction. And then autonomy, mastery, purpose, and on top of that. And that's how you get people really engaged and build a, a robust culture. I agree. I didn't, that's just something I put together. So that could be totally wrong. That's just, uh, I don't think so. One, one person's perspective. Yeah, but no, it's like, it's what we, we hear on our side too. Yeah. Interesting. So let's, let's get into EVP or, or employee value proposition. Sure. Cause I, we can jump around in this conversation however yeah, yeah. we want to. So, <laughs> so you mentioned that the job portrait side is working on employer branding. So there's employer branding is kind of one buzzword, I guess. And then you've got EVP as the other buzzword. Like, how do you define those two things? And, and are they the same? Or how are they different? Okay, so no, they're technically, no, they're not the same. But just like, you know, as like with any industry, there's, <laughs> there are the words, and then there's like the application of it. And so this is another thing too, where like this employer branding in general, it really differs depending on the size, the maturity of the, of the organization. At a very mature organization, they will really think about the difference between EVP, employer branding, recruitment marketing. Like it will be broken down and be a lot more like segmented. But when you're working with, you know, with startups, even like large, like later stage startups where employer branding is still led by a team of one and it's not as clearly defined. It just all sits under employer branding, right? Yeah, I mean, it's I like, think that's probably true even for like general mid market, right? Where they're it, it they're stat they're lean staff. They don't have time to like pull above up above all of this stuff and like build some of these things out. Yeah. They're trying, but they don't necessarily have the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that's exactly. And we could we could talk about like all those issues as well if you want. But here, like, we'll start with like employer branding. So like. If you think about employer branding, you strip away like all the buzzwords and like the fluffy terminology. It's what candidates and employees believe to be true or not about what it's like to work at your organization. And I think like the thing to to like really realize is that that perception exists mostly out of your control, and it exists regardless of what you do. So it's just like a company's brand exists, right? There's branding that you can put like a level of intentionality behind it. And I think that's where, you know, when we get into like employer branding and, and like the tactical side of it, that's an attempt to influence that perception. And, you know, influence is a, not a good, good or bad term. A lot of times it'll be associated with a negative term, but that's not what I mean. I mean, it is just like, it's an attempt to showcase and distribute the things about your company that you want more people to understand. Yeah. To um, be purposeful. It to be purposeful because you know the 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 other thing too is that employees and candidates they talk a lot, you know, and and a lot of those conversations happen outside of your view, right? They they happen in back channel conversations. I mean, it's wild to see like how many messages I will get from people telling me about poor experiences they've had with other companies just because I'm in the industry and they like want to I don't know give me feedback, but there is a lot of those conversations. And so that's where we get into like employer branding and candidate experience and things like that. And I don't want to make it too confusing, but so employer branding, your employer brand is the perception. And then your EVP is where we get into like the strategic purposeful part that you're, you know, that you're talking about here. And that's like, that's where you start developing, you know, key messages that you can share with candidates to help them understand who you are, what you do and what they'll get and give when they come to work for you. And internally, it's an alignment piece. So what do you mean by that? By alignment piece? Yeah. Okay. So because we do this work, like we get a look inside of like the before and after. You can get in and let's say values, we'll just say like straight up values were created at the founder level early on in the company. Fast forward even three years or less for some companies, they have scaled to the point of hundreds or thousands of employees. Everything is completely different. They might have a board, senior leadership is, is new. It's, an, it's still technically a startup, but is growing so fast. And you can ask, like we will do internal focus groups and we will ask employees like, can you name one company value? 
and they're just like stumped. Like they have no idea what this stuff even is, or even if it, if it, if it's even meaningful anymore. And so the EVP is like this, this foundation, like this North star where like everybody can like align around it. And it, it's the opportunity to create consistent messaging. So if I work for an organization and I'm talking to you about my company or about an opportunity, regardless if I'm in talent or not, it's consistent with what somebody else is going to say. It creates consistent content, create consistent copy across candidate facing sites, consistent language. And it's like, it's something that you can just start pointing everything towards. So is it values or is it statement, like a vision statement? Like when you get in and do the work, yeah. like I guess, what is the end result that they get? Yeah, that's, and this is where like, I'm glad you're bringing that up because I have a pretty strong opinion about an EVP when it is because of this reason. It's like, what, what the hell is it though? Like, you know, uh, that's, it all sounded great. What you just said, but like, of course it did. Right. You know, and companies pay lots and lots of money to get there. Right. So, but what do you actually get out of it? We don't, for us personally, we don't, believe in landing on words because when you do that more times than not, you will get blocked. You will get blocked by somebody who doesn't agree with those words because they're so focused on the words instead of focus on the ideas and the meanings behind those words. Right? So if, if we come in and say like, we are going to like land on a statement or a series of statements that are going to define who you are as an organization that leaves you that's that can get really messy because all like one senior leader has to do is go like, I don't agree with this because it's the words, you know? So what we want to yeah. do. Well, words we, can be so polarizing too, right? Like sure can it, yeah. I mean, just look at what's going on in the world now politically. And somebody says something and somebody goes, well, no, that's not right. Because that, you know, here's this other reason that that's not it. And it's just so easy when you plant a flag like that to have somebody disagree with it. Yeah. Right. That's exactly it. And so what we want to do is we want to get to themes. Like, what are the themes of the organization in its current state? Right. So when you can get to themes, then you can start getting to the execution of it, which in our opinion is the most important part. Too many EVPs will be created. There will be like a fancy deck presented or something. And then that's like the end of it because it's like, Okay, here you go. Here's our discovery. Here's where we landed. Here's some phrases. Here's things you can throw up on your career site. Honestly, candidates couldn't care less about that stuff. Yeah. They're not searching your career site to find your words. They don't care. What they want to know is what do those words mean in practice? And that's why if you can surface themes that matter to your internal audience, your your uh, employees, then you can start creating content in whatever formats you want that are representations of those things. And I think that is like, that's the most important aspect of it. And usually where EVPs fall short is they get, they, they go heavy strategic. There was some kind of like final deliverable, which is basically like findings and then no tactical execution to bring it to life, which is that's, that's what matters. Right. So there has to be this like part two. Do you have an example of like what a good EVP for one of your clients is? You don't have to tell us who the client is, but yeah. Like, do you have an example of like what that actually turned into and then how they used it? Yes. I can share this one because it's, I think it's a case study on our website. Yeah. And then I'll tell you like where things have fallen short too, if you want, because that part's really yeah. common. Like any, those are always good examples too. Y- yeah. I mean, any EB leader will like, completely relate to that as well. So Mozilla, if you know Mozilla, most people know Mozilla because they created Firefox. That's all I knew <laughs> as it, before they were a client. So Mozilla has been a client for quite a while. We started with an EVP because they were they were basically going through kind of like, I would say uh, some level of an identity crisis in a way and just like needed somebody to come in and like start figuring this stuff out. The thing that we've been able to do, I think with Mozilla is you know, it's kind of like what I said before, it's like, we just got a lot of clarity. The biggest thing that it did, and the biggest thing that this kind of work does, is it it builds its employee engagement at the core. Mozilla has a really, really unique culture already. 
But employee engagement is the code that employer brand leaders are trying to crack. It's like, how do I get my employees to care about this work and realize like the importance that it has on our larger organization? Let's start at the beginning of that then maybe and kind of like work into it. What are the initial conversations with Mozilla? What did those look like? Like, how did you even help them define this stuff initially? Yeah, so we do a series, internal focus groups between senior leadership, our liaisons, and, and employees. And we do many rounds of those, depending on how large the company is. For Mozilla, that's a, that's a lot of rounds of internal interviews to just basically extract data. For what purpose? What type of data are you trying to get out of those? Yeah, we're going to... It's We ask them a series of questions like what makes let's say we'll just use mozilla what makes mozilla so mozilla like what you know what what about it you know you get employees to start talking to find out the things that they really care about because the last time they probably did this work these employees weren't even involved and the company's at a completely different place and so you ask questions to like draw out one the meaning of the work that people across the company are doing, the impact that it's having on their life, why they join the organization. And then at the same time, you're sourcing stories to tell, which is the content piece, right? So it's like, yeah. like we think of it like journalism in a way where it's like you're going in and you're asking re- like really good questions that, they, that employees don't get asked. You're asking for their feedback because this is going to turn into something new that is a representation of them. And honestly, it's like that part of it. That's the thing. It's like, they feel like they're a part of this process. And when you give them a forum to talk, they really share openly. It's pretty amazing. You know, it's interesting listening to you say that because I had on the show, a woman named Elizabeth Letardo who works for McLeod and more, and they are, they help companies build purpose into their organizations. And so they help their sales teams with purposeful selling, they help their leadership teams with purposeful leadership. It's all about that. And so we got into like, how do you do that? How do you build that in? And her recommendation was go talk to your customers Yes, and hear what they value the most. Like what is the impact that you're making in their lives? And then work backwards from that to understand, you know, the purpose of the business. And it's, you're, you've almost said exactly the same thing, which is go to your employees understand their experience, what's working for them, what's not working for them, what are the things that make your company your company, that make your culture your culture, and then use that to build the EVP and build the branding and maybe use some of the feedback to tighten it up and get a little better. Absolutely. It's an opportunity to get better for sure. And yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, it's that piece. And then there's also, we also take it externally too. And we do external interviews with candidates around the market. There's some really great services that you can use who just who have candidates that you can just like pay for part to help research. Yeah, yeah. User interviews. Hey, User interviews is who we play. Didn't get a job? Come give us feedback. Yep. It's uh, <laughs> it's um, it's pretty cool. And they're like objective, you know. So so we'll do we'll do that UX research with external candidates too. So you get to see both sides of it because their perception of your brand is totally different than somebody who's in it day to day. And then like, you know, back to the Mozilla thing. So, I mean, what we did with Mozilla is is basically a representation of something that we've been able to do across the board. But like what you, I think the most important thing is like, it's, you have to like go out to enough employees. Like you can't just do like a small sample set. Like you have to like really put a lot of effort into this, to the internal research part of it, which is one reason why these can take a long time. But you need to get a variety of perspectives and there needs to be a a good amount of diversity in the people that you're interviewing. And like, what we'll do is like, we'll work with like our liaison who then works with function leaders who will then put groups of people together inside of functions. We will bring, think of like a master spreadsheet with this huge list of employees who are going to participate in the research and then mix and match those. So in like one group, you might have 10 employees but they're 10 employees from like everybody from like, let's say a new hire to a senior leader across all kinds of different functions. They get to hear each other's perspectives. And it's so interesting to be on the other side of it, hearing how different people view things, you know, like 
you ask everybody the same question and you get 10 different answers. Yeah. Part of it, I think, is just taking the time to do that because most most organizations or you know groups or teams don't take the time to actually stop and say like, "How's it going for you?" You know, How's what do you, you what do you think? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So jumping forward, then, what is the like? What did Mozilla get from you? Yeah, and how have they used it? So what Mozilla got from us is, I mean, at the end, the the actual deliverable is a deck. I mean, if we're just looking at like an asset. That deck was presented in like multiple presentations with like, we did one for senior leadership. We did one for employee groups, you know, like we helped roll it out and kind of like share our findings, which that's what it's really about is like sharing the research. But then from there, we've been, I mean, ongoing, we've just like taken that and just like turned it into content. That's what it's really about. Do you have an example of like what some of that content might look like? Yeah, I'll tell you like one of the coolest pieces that is extremely relevant now, <laughs> it, but this was before remote work was like a big thing. It was when it was still like more unique. Mozilla, we did an article for them about how they do remote work, which was like a core piece of like their culture. And, and I really like that. And, and why I bring that, that single piece up is because I really love how we do stories. So, you know, it's like every company is unique and special in their own way. But I don't think, again, like going back to this like stop and pause and like think that you just brought up, I don't think companies stop and pause and think about some of the things they do that are really actually unique and special. It's easy to just like get caught up and just like, oh, this is the way we do stuff. But you know, the way you do something is probably different than another company and that's a differentiator. Anyway, so that was like, that's one example of a story that I'm just like super fond of, but Let's dive into that a little further, though. So you say you love the way that you tell stories. What What is it about the way that you tell stories? How do you tell stories? Okay, so something that is pretty unique to our company, I think with the exception of me, <laughs> probably, the team, they're all ex-journalists. So they come from a journalism background. They went to journalism school. That's just how they think. They're extremely talented question askers and writers. And we didn't... The company wasn't created... Because there was like, oh, we want to be an employer branding. The company was created because our co-founder was looking for a job in product at a startup in San Francisco because he just moved there and was struggling to find the cultural information from companies that he was looking for. And so he just like messaged a bunch of founders and said, like, hey, like, can I come in and, and interview you as part of my interview process. And I'll turn it around into a blog post and just give it to you as a thank you. And that'll be our exchange. And then what ended up happening was companies saw these assets as recruiting tools Thought, well, can we just pay you to do more? And that's just how the whole thing started. And it started out of curiosity. And that's why there's like storytelling, which is a very unique skill. And then there's asking really great questions, which is a core value of our company in general. And I've said this before, but I think, I think ultimately we get paid to ask really good questions. And if you know how to ask the right questions, you can pull out the information that your end user is, is looking for. And I think ultimately so, that's what we're really so good So I'm going to go, I'm going to keep going. We're just going to keep going keep deeper going. and deeper here. How do you ask good questions? What makes a good question? That's, <laughs> that's, that's a good question. <laughs> All right. So if we're doing, if we're, in our case, if you're asking a question that is going to translate information to, let's say, an audience, somebody on the other side, knowing what that audience wants is very important. Because otherwise, what you're doing is you're just asking questions that are going to make the other person, the other party look good, which is very problematic. And so what we do is like we start with the audience and find out what information they want and then package that up, turn it around and ask those questions from our clients. So the two meet, right? But there are surface level questions, which are layups. And then there's good questions that get to like the reasons why. And also back to like that you mentioned at the very beginning, this like attract and repel. Mm -hmm. Questions in our case need to be designed to at the same time, repel the candidate who is our audience, right? So let me give you, I'll just give you an example of a question that, that we ask in interviews. And we ask this of employees and we ask this of founders and, and whoever is, 
you know, fast forward two years and the business is dead. Why? What that does is that is certainly not a layup question, but it exposes vulnerabilities inside the company, which as a job candidate, you, like you want to know. Well, so yeah. So how would you take that, the answer to that question and communicate that to a uh, potential employee? Because that, I mean, I, I imagine you'd be, you'd get any business person you asked, you'd be like, there's no way in hell I'm telling a potential employee the answer to that question. We do it in an interview. So we do, uh, we conduct one-on-one interviews just like this. And we ask like a series of like 20 to 25 questions. No, but what, like, oh, but my yeah. question is, what do you then do with it? Like, how does that get back to the candidate? We package that up as a clip and then... And you just, you're just that vulnerable and transparent. Yes. So, uh, oh gosh, this is a good opportunity to talk about, about authenticity at the company level. I love it. I wrote that down when you said it at the very beginning. So we were going to get there. Let's, let's dive in. Okay. So, uh, you'd be surprised how many people are willing to answer that question. It's one of the questions that like rarely, I don't even know if it's been vetoed yet. They can, they can veto the questions that we ask them, but that's, but you know, that's one of them it's really easy to say that companies need to be authentic and transparent. That's a very agreeable thing to say. But in practice, it's very difficult because there's a lot of like layers to that. And so if you're an employer branding, you go, yes, I want that for my company. Well, does PR agree with you? Does legal agree with you? Does marketing agree with you? Does senior, like whoever, do they agree with you too? No, they probably don't because there's fear. There's fear that like, oh, this is going to expose something in our company that isn't going to be attractive to everybody. Well, that's faulty thinking because you're not supposed to be attractive to everybody. You're only supposed to be attracted to the person who understands why your business would fail in two years and goes, yes, I want to be a part of that because I want to help that not happen. That's a great point. That's a different level of engagement. But there's a spectrum that you need to guide companies in the direction of being more and more vulnerable or more and more authentic. It's not going to start, it's not going to go from zero to 10. So what you have to do is like guide them there by answering questions that might be a little bit uncomfortable, but still within their comfort zone. And so that's what we do because then when you build that level of trust and they see like, oh, this is actually a, a benefit, a positive. And that was like a fun question to ask because maybe I never thought about it myself or, or in a while and like... Then all of a sudden they open up and you can keep pushing that more and yeah. more and more, right? Well, and I, I don't remember the source material where I picked this up, but I remember hearing years ago from a sales standpoint that if you tell everybody, if you have one salesperson who tells somebody all the great benefits of working with your company and they're great, and you have another salesperson who talks about all the great benefits of working with their company, but also tells you about the faults, you are more you're way more likely to work with the person who told you the faults mm-hmm. and it's a more successful sales tactic for sure. Put vulnerability as a sales tactic, but it's, I just try to remember that a lot as, when I'm communicating with people, because it is true. Like we want, we know that nothing is perfect. Yeah, we do. Like we know that. And as much as we want our next employer to be perfect, we know deep down in our heart of hearts that it's not. And so understanding how it's not allows us to then make the judgment of like, okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to accept that. It's almost like, sorry, I'm kind of riffing here, but you're good. Trying to put the thoughts together in my head. It's almost like, like picking a partner, like a mate. It's like, okay, I want to know, I know they're not going to be perfect. I want to know how they're not going to be perfect. And can I live with those those things. And if I can live with that and then I get all this other great benefit, then great. This is a partner that I could potentially spend the rest of my life with. But, but if, if it's not right, if you're like, Oh, my biggest pet peeve is, you know, somebody who doesn't flush the toilet and you know, that's the one imperfect thing about the person that you're with, like, that's probably not going to work out. So that's where you're to your point about like repelling or, or I would maybe say filtering is like, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get a person who's like, you know what? I'm willing to accept these imperfections and therefore willing to come work for you. Or I'm not willing to accept these imperfections and therefore like, hey, we don't probably want you anyway. Yep. 
Absolutely. And that's how I think of, of content is content is your filter at the top of the funnel, you know, and then from there you can get really strategic about content deliverables. Once a candidate, you know, is engaged and in, in the interview process and things like that. And that, that really gets like the candidate experience side. But like, I think about the top of the funnel as like, how can you create stuff that is a filter to then help people opt themselves in or out. It's like a, it's, it's a respect of everybody's time and you just get, you, you get a lot more buy-in. And I realize that's like, it's easy for me to say on the outside and in practice, it can be a little bit more challenging. But again, going back to what I was saying is that if somebody internally is trying to like bang that drum and like push that forward, just start pushing it little by little and, and getting people comfortable with, with showing more of the, maybe the challenges or like the imperfections. And once people get more, more and more comfortable with that, they open up and yeah. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's listening to this, who hasn't watched Brene Brown's Ted talk on vulnerability should go out and do that. And I think she, I mean, that's just such a perfect lesson for everybody on how to be vulnerable. Cause even in there, she's, she addresses the fact that you don't, you're not completely vulnerable. You're not, or you're not completely open. You know, you're not telling, you're not walking out naked and saying, look, this is me. I'm a mess. I'm a wreck, blah, blah, blah. You're, you know, you're just letting him in on some of the real things that are going on and you get to draw the line on where that is. You do, you do. And, and you know, here, okay, this is going to like, <laughs> in the world of employer branding, the bar isn't very high right now. It's not when it comes to this, because it's for one, the industry, especially in the US is still like really new. And it's something that like most companies are now starting to pay attention to, but haven't like really put a lot of, you know, like a lot of juice behind it. Like they have like with marketing for years. And so, you know, like employer branding, is kind of like at the infancy stage where you're just seeing like a lot of like, you know, polished content. Like I had somebody tell me, I think yesterday they said it's just like different shades of vanilla or something or different shades of beige, you know? And so it's, there really is an opportunity to like stand out even just a little bit and have a candidate go, whoa, that's different. They're telling me something that I just wish they would tell me instead of like on the second interview. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, right? All that stuff. If you could just do the thought exercise of what are all the things that an employee is going to come in a month into this job and say, God, I wish you had just told me that's X, it. Y, Z up front. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why I think like there's this very, very simple, but overlooked piece of content that I think every company should have. And that's a candidate FAQ. And it's like, if you just ask your recruiting team, Hey, what are the questions that candidates are asking you over and over and over again? And you just find yourself repeating yourself. You take that and just do a Q and a blog post that can just live on your career site. You can send it to candidates before they, you know, before they come in or right after they apply, whatever. And it just like, it just goes into all, it checks all those boxes. It's such a simple piece of content. You can update it periodically. It's for the most part, evergreen. It's funny that you say that because I saw that from somebody the other day and I was curious and read into it and it was a HubSpot and they their CHRO, maybe they call her chief people officer, said that she gets so many requests from from potential candidates for an informational interview that she's like, here's everything I would tell you in an informational interview. So and it it was brilliant and it touched on everything that you're talking about. So if anybody wants to look that up, I'll we'll I'll find that and we'll link it in the show notes too, because it's good to see an example of that. But I, I agree. I was reading it and I was like, man, if I was a candidate, I would love this. Yeah. I know. It's just information, right? Yeah. It's not sexy. It's not this like polished piece of content. It's just information. And I think, you know, that's the thing that is really missing and forgotten because it's not fancy. But it's like, it's the thing I wish people would talk more about is like, give candidates information. Yeah. And you know what? So actually, this is interesting. She tied in another thing that you were talking about, about trying to filter people is in there, she said, here are the the common mistakes that candidates make when they come and interview here, they think they're getting X, Y, Z, and they're not, mm. here's who we really are. And I was like, oh man, that, that's a really interesting approach. And I, I thought it was great. 
for all the reasons that you told us earlier. I mean, that a look inside your hiring process, just like man, that manages expectations. I yeah. mean, like think about like interviewing. Interviewing is like one of the most anx- anxious things we can go through as a as a person, and just seeing it in front of you manages all your expectations. It can release that fear and allow you to just like go in and perform well. And I think like from the employer standpoint too, you should be thinking about what is going to enable my candidate to show up as themselves in the best possible way. How do I get the real candidate? How do I get the real candidate? It's like, yeah, I mean, it's those things. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about giving some of the examples on the wrong side. Where are people getting this wrong? Like, and let's say, let me, let me caveat that a little bit differently. Let's say people are trying this. Let's say they're engaged. Where are they then getting it wrong? Because if you're not even engaged, there's a whole bunch of things you could be doing, but let's say somebody's, yeah, but let's say somebody's trying, where do you see them making the most mistakes? With, with employee, like EVP, the content, anything? Let's say, yeah, anything either with, let's say with how they're telling their story. Whether that's the content they're creating, the the mediums they're using, their vulnerability in communication, their storytelling ability, like within within how they package and tell their story and bring that out into the world, yeah. Where are you? Where are the biggest misses? The, okay, so there's. I think that the recruiting team is the biggest asset to employer branding at a company, outside of talking to candidates, which is what I'm going to get to, but let's say in internally who you have like real access to on a regular basis, recruiters hold all the information that your candidates want. They know what your candidates care about. They're the ones at the front lines. It's just like marketing. If marketing had that level of relationship with SDRs, you know, I mean, it's like, that's where, that's where you get like the real feedback. And so I really think somebody who's leading employer branding, which Many times, it's not a designated role. It might be a head of talent, a head of people. Sometimes it's comms or whatever, you know, somebody who's balancing other things. But just have regular meetings with the recruiting team where you come in and it's like, hey, what are you hearing? What do you need? How can, like, what can we create that is going to enable you to do better work? That ongoing kind of relationship, it's making your recruiters part of the process instead of them being like, in some ways siloed and kind separate. And it's also just like continual user feedback. And then you, you can kind of create from that, from there. I'll tell you something that this employee engagement piece that I talked on before, employer branding very much sits on an island at most companies. If you talk to anybody outside of the, the little bubble, which is probably talent, you know, maybe somebody who manages culture, most employees don't really know what it is or that it might eat, that it exists to begin with. And that's one of the biggest blockers to these initiatives, like really getting to the point that they need to be at. And I think that piece is like, how can you start educating your employee base to get them to care? It's not that they don't care about your work. They don't care because they don't know. And I'm going to give you an example of a company that is doing this better than anybody I've ever seen. If you're familiar with Qualtrics. I am, yes. Yeah. Okay, so Qualtrics. Qualtrics has been able to pull off employer branding content at a scale that I've never seen before because what they've done is they've allowed their employees to be content creators for them. So what does that look like? Yeah, so in practice, what that looks like is they created a templatized, basically like form where employees can go in and answer the questions. And then the EB team takes that in, designs it you know, into a deliverable. And they have these series of basically employee stories because they've templatized the process and made it so easily accessible and enabled other people to tell stories instead of them being the one that the employer branding team being the ones responsible for creating all this stuff. What they've done is they've enabled their employees to do the telling on behalf of them, which is so smart. And um, they've been able to get profiles now on more than 10% of their employee base, which is 300 plus profiles. I mean, it's crazy. If you look at their career site, they have profiles for sales, CS, engineering, 
I mean, it is, it's so robust and it's not overly complicated. They just have done a really good job at engaging their people to get them to care. Yeah. Just making it easy. Just making it easy. That's the thing. And so, you know, that's the piece, but now like, uh, you know, one more is like, is this external, your external audience, which is your candidates. What I've just described is, isn't easy, but it's a lot easier because you have access to these people. And it's honestly a lot more comfortable. In some ways, you know who they are because at least they work for your company. But going out to an external audience who has no relationship with your company whatsoever and saying like, what do you think about us? Where can we improve? Can be uncomfortable. And I think that's the reason why the vast majority of companies or employer brand leaders just don't do it because it's just, it's not easy, but it's really important. It's going back to what you were saying before about like on the sales and marketing side about talking to customers. And it's like, if your candidates are your customers, you need to know what they feel what they think and feel or what they perceive about your company. And I would really like to see more external focus, you know, put on these initiatives. And then, yeah, yeah, I'll stop there. (laughs) What (laughs) are you most sick of talking about when it comes to EVP or employment brand? So what I just described with Qualtrics of employees being content creators, I'm really tired of talking about, about employees being content creators at the same time. Because I think it's different than one. I think what it what's being talked about versus what Qualtrics is doing is is completely different. Personal brand is like really. I, I, it's one of those things that has become <laughs> talked about so much that you're either all in on it and you think it's like the greatest thing ever, or you just like roll your eyes and like I can't believe we're talking about personal brand again. But either way, I think there's a difference between content and personal brand. So this idea of employees being influencers isn't the same as employees being content creators because there's a difference between being like an influencer or trying to hack engagement and somebody who's actually producing valuable content that is making people move towards or away from something or think differently. Yeah. Well, there's a, there is a whole rabbit hole that we do not have enough time for today. We're not going to go down there. I'm just going to go down, but I mean, I, so I had listened to you, a clip I just saw of you and uh, James Hornick, who had introduced us yep. uh, from Hirewell, talking about this, about social media. And I mean, I I am in the camp that personal branding is great. Putting yourself out there is great. I'm obviously doing it with this show. But the best way to do it is in a way that's valuable to other people. And if the things you're putting out aren't valuable, whether that's your personal brand, your employment brand, your marketing brand, anything like if you're not putting things out there that are valuable to people, you're just adding to the noise. That's my personal take. Yeah. And th- and that's where like, you know, one thing that James and I, uh, you know, talked about is that the organic nature of personal brand versus the intentional nature of it. And if you do what you're describing, putting out value in, yeah. in w- whatever way, the personal brand aspect of it just naturally happens. It happens on its own. It but takes it, care of itself. Yeah. It takes care of itself instead of going in and being like, okay, I'm going to become known and I'm going to like write posts that I know are going to get engagement and stuff. And like the reason I bring this up is because, you know, there is a company that has become very well known for their employees being engaged or being active on LinkedIn for specifically. And I've gotten some direct feedback from candidates about their experience with that company and it's completely different. And so I don't know that that's why, but that's a whole different conversation, but that's the thing that like, uh, I don't want to talk about personal brand anymore. (laughs) I will. I'll caveat what I said before. Just, just one caveat on that, which is it's also good to put out something that's just funny every once in a while or fun or whatever. Like if it's, if it's authentic to you, like that's fine too. I don't, I realized after I closed my mouth that that could sound a little too preachy. Like it's fine to, put out stuff that's that's fun every so often too but Absolutely. i think but i think to your point people are trying to create people are either putting out fluff or or trying too hard to create a thing rather than just being authentically themselves and adding value yeah yeah well said yeah so final question i know you got to run this is a question yeah. i ask everybody at the end what in your mind is the purpose of business mm, yeah okay so i think I think the purpose of, of business is dependent on who the business is, is touching or impacting, right? So there's, let's say a business owner, there's employees, and then there's customers. And, you know, I look at it like, 
I try to look at it like through those three different perspectives because it's all different. And I think from the customer standpoint, business is there to like give you a solution to your problem to make it like as frictionless as, as possible. And depending on what you're offering to make it as cheap as possible. I mean, let's face it, right? But it's like, it's just to create this like to, to solve a problem. Now on the employee side, I think that business should be either a path of progression. So the opportunity for somebody to elevate themselves personally and professionally, depending on where they're at in their career, or be this like source of meaning for them. And again, like we talked about very like early on, that varies depending on where you're at in your career. And business and work means completely different things. But I think ultimately we want to get to that meaning part. And then as a business owner, which is a role that like I've stepped into recently, which is like a whole nother thing. For me, it's about, it really at this point in my career and my life is about solving interesting problems for one and two, widening access to meaningful work because we're hiring. And so I've been on the other side of this and I know what it's like to work for our company. And I want to give people a shot that want to get a shot at other companies. There's boxes that have to be checked, but this, this idea of, of being able to widen access to meaningful work is something that I'm so incredibly passionate about that it feels really good to be on the side that can help influence that. I love that. Beautiful answer. Nate, I know you got to run. Thank you so much for the time and wisdom today. I think this would be really helpful for people because as we said at the beginning, like this is hard stuff to define. It's harder to execute on, but I think when done right, when done authentically makes a big, makes a big impact. So really appreciate your time. Thanks buddy. It's been great talking to you. Take care. All right. Hey folks, one last thing before you go. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.